This episode is sponsored by Arculist. Stay tuned for more information on them later in this episode. What's up, everybody? I'm Scott Melker, and this is the Wolf of All Streets podcast, where twice a week I talk to your favorite personalities from the worlds of Bitcoin finance, music, art, sports, politics, basically anyone with a good story to tell. Now, when I got into crypto in late 2016, it was supposed to be this wild west for traders where you could do whatever you wanted and you never had to pay taxes on any of your gains. At least that's what we thought. And boy, were we absolutely wrong. And a lot of people have learned a lot of very hard lessons since. The reality is actually the United States is a very complex place to file your crypto taxes. uh, And almost everything is a taxable transaction, seemingly. So to dispel some of the myths, to try to demystify the entire thing, I brought in my friend from Zen Ledger, the COO of Zen Ledger, Dan Hannum, to talk about doing your crypto taxes. Dan, welcome. Thank you for thank you for joining. Yes, Scott. Thanks for having us on. So, would you say that that uh, intro was accurate? That's how most people you speak to viewed it when they probably got into the space. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's funny to see the change of, of attitude. I guess over the last probably ten years. I think when I first started in 2012, 2013, it was like super crypto anarchist, like F the government, we're not paying taxes, we're not doing anything. And then you had like 15, 16, 17, where people started to make their, their first like large amounts of capital. And then the whole like, I'm moving to Puerto Rico crowd, like I'm expatriating and going to some other country crowd. And then now I think we've settled into like kind of a, a happy medium where I think uh, people are aware of crypto tax and are just looking for great solutions to, you know, make sure that the complex transactions we're making within crypto get reconciled, you know, accurately. So it's been interesting to see kind of the, the evolution of, uh, of the crypto tax argument uh, or, or, you know, viewpoint uh, from the outside looking in. Yeah, obviously Zen Ledger is the platform that I use and it would be effectively impossible for someone who transacts regularly trades with crypto to do this on their own, right? A spreadsheet just doesn't hack it anymore. That's how I started, obviously, when I was first doing it. I didn't know what I was doing, but literally everything is taxable. Pretty much. Yeah, I mean, we, we can go into like high level and get as deep as we want, but I mean, you have it right. Like that's where the business started, you know, in, in 2015, 2016, 2017, we're trying to figure out, you know, I've, I've been buying, selling, trading, making, you know, making good profits. And there's like two platforms on the ecosystem, which is like Bitcoin.tax and like Cointracking.info that like both just kind of lacked in integrations and lacked in UI, lacked in UX, didn't have customer service and like, was just kind of like a great concept without kind of with, with you know, not as great execution. And, and essentially we were doing the same thing. Like we were using Google Docs and Excel spreadsheets on like handwritten notes. And it was just like a nightmare. So like there has to be better, you know, better software and a better system to do this. And that's kind of the origin story of, of Zenlinger. Right. So but even when I started using Zenledger, it was primarily Bitcoin and Ethereum and anything that was on the Ethereum chain. Now it seems like there's this proliferation of layer ones, layer twos, DEXs, all of these things. And of course, there's challenges there because they're decentralized, right? It's not necessarily atta- attached to someone. So how do you scale as fast as crypto is scaling so that people can accurately report? Yeah, I mean, frankly, I don't know if you can, right? And then that's like the, the, the best part about crypto is innovation never stops. And the hardest part is that it never stops, right? So even <laughs> us that like live and breathe this ecosystem, like there's always like, I think I have 460 tabs open right now, right? It's like there's always some new information, some new blog posts, some new white papers, some new thing that I want to learn or look at or, or whatever. I mean, the, the way that we look at it is essentially 
when you look at the crypto tax market in like 2018, 2019, you had like us, Coin Tracker, Token Tax. We all had like the same integration. We all like supported Coinbase. We all supported Ledger. We all supported Binance. We all supported Trezor. We all had like pretty okay UX. We all had like pretty comparable pricing. So it was like, which one do you like better, right? And then over the last probably two and a half, three years, we've really seen like a difference between us and some of the other platforms leaning into that integration side. Um, and so when you look at crypto tax, if you're using DeFi protocols, if you're using NFTs and you can't account for that accurately, then just your simple Coinbase to Ledger doesn't really matter, right? You can't have like an 80% complete tax report. It has to be 100%. And so our kind of strategy is casting the widest net because if we can support the most amount of integrations, the most amount of tokens, the most amount of blockchains, the most amount of DeFi protocols, the most amount of NFTs, then that net gets super wide. And then we can literally aggregate all that into your, your tax report. So it's been definitely a big strategic and competitive advantage for us to be able to skate where kind of the puck's going. I think that's largely based on like the people at the top of the company that are using these protocols and using these products. We've seen some of our competitors that are like more kind of web to native individuals that saw an opportunity and built a business in crypto, but like don't use crypto. And, and so they're not like using FTM, they're not using AVAX, they're not using Solana, they're not using Luna, they're not bridging, they're not using L2s, right? And so because we actually use these things, we have data sets that we can build integrations off of. Um, and so, yeah, you know, I think of the strength on, on our retail platform has largely been the fact that, you know, we support more exchanges, wallets, protocols, platforms than, than anyone else. Yeah, you mentioned obviously NFTs there, and I think there's a huge amount of confusion over what's going to be taxable with NFTs. And maybe that clarity hasn't even come, but on the very top end, how should people approach their taxes with NFTs? Yeah, so with NFTs, I mean, there's a few different kind of rabbit holes we can go down. There's the biggest distinction to begin with is, you know, from a creator investor perspective, um, excuse me, or a, a collector investor or a creator. And so how you interact with NFTs can have a big difference. If I'm a creator and I'm selling NFTs, that's largely going to be income coming in, whether, you know, whether I'm in 500 or 5,000 or 10,000. And if I'm a buyer collector, then it starts to open up the doors to more viewpoints you need to be aware of. And so there's kind of three things to be aware of is how are you acquiring the NFT? And so there are some platforms like a Nifty Gateway, for example, or like a, a, a Dapper Labs or like a Flow, um, um, where you can go from my credit card into NFT. And so anytime you go from dollars or fiat into NFT, whether it's a fungible or non-fungible token, you're going to have no taxable consequence or taxable event. So you can buy as many NFTs as you want with dollars, just as we know that kind of limits the market. Most of the NFT platforms are kind of crypto to crypto. And that's really where that second bucket comes from. I'm using ETH, for example, to buy this NFT. You need to know the cost basis of your ETH. When you trade your NFT, your ETH for your NFT, that's a taxable event. You need to be able to look at the gain or loss. You then have a new basis for the NFT. Um, and so that can be a big, a big um, difference for you. If I'm using existing ETH that I already have, those factors come into play. How long have I held it? When was my original cost basis? And then there's the third kind of way of acquiring, which is like net new crypto into NFT. And that's to be like the best if you can't do fiat into NFT. So yeah, so the, the three main uh, items with NFTs you can have is really using existing crypto, which can open you up to looking at the cost basis, your gain, your loss, your holding period. You have going from dollars into NFT, which is generally a non-taxable event, but it kind of limits the amount of NFTs that you can buy. And then you have buying fresh crypto for the NFT. Um, and that's typically going to be kind of the best thing that you can do outside of going from dollars to NFT. Because if you buy ETH, you know, like today, and then five minutes from now, sell that ETH for an NFT, you're like going to have a very small gain or loss unless crypto is super volatile on the day. 
If you've been consistently reporting first in, first out FIFO, can you still do the latter? Because a lot of people's fear, obviously, is I bought Ethereum at 80 bucks. I don't want to sell $3,000 Ethereum to take a taxable, you know, gain, pay 20% taxes, which basically increases the price of the NFT I'm buying by 20%. Yeah, I mean, it depends on who you are and what your scenario is. Um, for some of the NFT users that we've seen, they're, they're relatively new to crypto, which is kind of the best part about NFTs. They brought in such a net new crowd. Um, but for people that have been in crypto a while, more of like the kind of crypto OGs or whales, that FIFO challenge can be uh, challenging for them. Because essentially, once you pick that accounting method, you're likely going to want to use that accounting method moving forward. Um, but you can use, you know, I could be in crypto for five years and still use LIFO. I just had to to, you know, determine that I was I've started like, doing it, which I unfortunately did not. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, that's a that's a huge challenge. That's one of the things you look back on and you go, if I had only known five years ago to report in a different manner to start this entire process, everything would be wildly different. But yeah, live and learn. So there are obviously probably a ton of myths or questions that you guys get on a consistent basis that you have to dispel. What are the biggest, would you say, things that people are getting wrong? when looking at their crypto taxes in the United States? Hmm. I think the, the first one that we get is that things that happen on chain are untrackable, untraceable, and the IRS will never find what's going on. And that's like the biggest and easiestly dispelled myth that we have, right? If you've ever used eScan or Snowtrace or FTM scan or BSC scan, like you've entered in your own address, you can see the ins, the outs, the fees, the address that it went from and went to. And so like everything that's happening on chain is very easily trackable and traceable. And because most people get into crypto using a KYC exchange to go from fiat into crypto originally, you can start to pair together the, you know, your centralized exchange via your decentralized address and see what's happening in. So that's probably the first one is, you know, everything I've done is DeFi and NFT is like, they can't see that. It's very easy to see. I can literally open Easier up to see than cash. <laughs> oh, it's extremely easy, right? So that's probably the big one. I'd say the second one, comes from when you look at crypto, there's kind of three main buckets. And it's similar to the NFT stuff that we just talked about, going from dollars into crypto, non-taxable, going from crypto to crypto, taxable, and going from crypto back into dollars, taxable. That second bucket of crypto to crypto really is where like a lot of the misconceptions come from. If I trade Bitcoin for ETH, it's non-taxable. It's a like kind exchange, but it's not. If I go from ETH into ST, you know, ETH, or if I go from Bitcoin into wrap Bitcoin, taxable events. So that's a big misconception is, is crypto to crypto is not taxable. I'd say that the other one is, is treating your DeFi or NFT activity in ETH terms instead of dollar terms. And we get that a lot. I bought an NFT for one ETH. I sold it for two ETH. I must have, I must have a gain, right? Maybe if you bought ETH for 500 and you sold it for, you know, for 200, you bought one ETH for 500, you sold two at 200. So you bought it for 500, you sold it for 400. So in ETH terms, you gained one ETH, but you lost $100. And then similar on, on the back end, right? I bought it for 10 ETH, I sold it for eight ETH, much have a, I must have a loss. Depends, you, that 10 ETH that you bought it for could be worth a lot less than the eight ETH you sold it for. And you could have a gain even in an ETH loss terms. So the big thing that we see is making sure that you're looking at things in dollar terms. Um, and then maybe not a misconception, but just something that we see over and over again is not putting money off to the side for taxes. And so people are buying NFTs or selling NFTs or minting, they're doing et cetera, and they're doing extremely well. And then they get hit with this hundred, two, three, four hundred thousand dollar tax bill. And instead of taking 20 or 30% of their proceeds on every sale and putting it into like a stable coin or something and just putting it away, even with a stable coin, go earn interest on this like tax 
portfolio account that you have, right? Go earn 8%, 10%, but keep it there. So when the tax bill comes, you're not having to scramble or sell your favorite NFT or liquidate your portfolio to cover your tax bill. So maybe not a misconception, but just kind of like a user error that we see a lot. That, that to me is the single, maybe most important strategy that people need to understand. Even if you go, you know, Bitcoin to ETH or ETH to Solana and Solana back to ETH, whatever it is, you need to basically take 20 to 40%, depending on your tax bracket of that right out to dollars. Because you might not have it when the time comes to, to pay your taxes and you can park it somewhere in USDC, obviously, and earn yield. That's what I do. I mean, I, I just 40% mindlessly just to make sure and be over and I park it, I earn some yield on it and then I pay my taxes. But if you haven't done that, you hear these horror stories, right? I had a friend, I think it was 2018, he had done exceptionally well in 2017, same thing you were talking about, but he did well back into Bitcoin, right? Mm -hmm. He never realized into dollars and he was trading all these altcoins and made millions of dollars. And then it came time for paying his taxes the next year and Bitcoin had crashed, his portfolio was a fraction and he owed more in taxes than his portfolio was worth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, we see it. We see that even now with NFTs, right? That they buy, sell, trade NFTs, and they they kind of like paperclip is what I call going from like you know a very small thing into like a big thing. Like they go from a very small mint into like owning a punk or owning a board of yacht club or owning a squiggle or whatever, right? And then the tax bill comes, and the only liquidity you have is that NFT that you just traded for. So do you really want to have to like sell the board ape to like pay your tax bill? No. So definitely want to make sure that you're putting some away. And the nice part is you know going into dollars or going into USDC are both going to basically have the same impact. If I, if I trade, you know, if I trade X for USDC or it's going from X into dollars, same impact, but keeping it into that stable coin, then in January, February, March, April, May, as you're going throughout the year, park that 30, 40% into, you know, a yield generating event or, or, or uh, uh, account and earn 10, 12, 14, whatever percent on that. But know that you have that, you know, put away. So definitely valuable because we've seen, you know, I'm sure we both have some pretty crazy horror stories. Horror stories. That made a lot, don't have enough to cover their bill, have to liquidate, or even if they liquidate, still don't have enough to cover. And so something to just be aware of as you're buying, selling, trading. Yeah, it's so complex. Uh, you hear all these horror stories and you wonder why this can't just be so much easier. Do you think that there's hope that the IRS, that the government will pass sort of more reasonable I mean, for them too, right? Because for them to go down this rabbit hole and try to audit you would require resources that they unlikely have now. They may have them later and come back, so there's no reason to pretend. But do you think that they could just simplify? I mean, it seems very obvious that you could just do it like Forex, right? My dollars go in, my dollars come out. That's my taxable transaction. Everything I do inside is sort of ir irrelevant. I don't think that'll happen. But do you see a world where they simplify this for us? I think there's simplifications that come and better guidance that comes, but the classification of crypto, I don't think it's going to change. And what I mean by that is when you look at Forex, the way that Forex works is treated as a currency and not as property. And so the IRS's first guidance on crypto have, came in 2014, where they treated crypto as property. And that's kind of what cascades into this like situation we're in today. And that's why that going from Bitcoin into ETH or ETH into Bitcoin is a taxable bank. In the IRS's view, you're going from one piece of property into a new piece of property instead of currency to currency or commodity to commodity. So I, I could be wrong, right? But I don't think they're gonna change on that stance. It's been in place for eight years. They haven't changed it yet. I think what will happen is more guidance around some of the gray areas that we have. Like for example, we have the Jarrett case in the going through courts right now on staking returns. Should they be taxable? Should they not be taxable? To be clear, anyone's listening to this as of, I don't even know, March 7th, 
you should still gotcha. pay your speaking <laughs> income at the time of receipt. There is unfortunately some really bad reporting from providers in crypto that was like, the IRS is saying it's non-taxable, it's not. That was just one court case that has no impact on tax court or from the IRS. So still treat your, your staking rewards as, as taxable at this time. Hopefully, you know, we'll see if it changes. But so in general, I think we'll see some more um, guidance around staking on airdrops, on forks. Um, I think we'll see more immediate guidance on like DeFi specific and NFT specific uh, events. Because right now we're kind of taking how the IRS treats fungible items and looking at that from a non-fungible perspective, whether it's an NFT airdrop, treating that the same as a normal fungible airdrop. Um, so yeah, I don't think we're going to change from a property into a currency. I, I would be very, very skeptical that it happens, but my goal, uh, and my hope is that they'll provide better guidance on DeFi and NFT related activities. And then, so for us as builders of software, we can point to IRS section two, paragraph three, instead of like, well, you could take a conservative approach or aggressive approach. Which one do you want? Right. I, I wouldn't much rather have anything. Our customers would much rather have, this is how it's treated. And then you plan for that, right? Instead of like, well, you can treat it one way or the other. So hopefully more guidance is coming down the pipeline on, on some you know, uh, newer uh, activity. Speaking of airdrops, anyone who has a MetaMask wallet or address and has interacted frequently with DEXs, especially if you have like a Binance smart chain address or something, you have people airdropping coins into your wallet that you don't even expect or know what they are all the time, right? Yep. Most of them are literal scams. Right, but these tokens are just being dropped in. You didn't ask for them. Do you have a taxable event there? It depends on the mechanism. Um, and, and so some airdrops are literally just like, they come into your wallet, right? Some you have to claim. So if you have a claiming event, typically it's gonna be harder to say, I didn't want this. Yeah, I you did it. it, you right? actively did so it, like, right. You made, you actually did a, a step to, to go get it. And some claims are like multi-steps, right? It's not just claim, you have to like, there's seven steps along the way for you to get the, the end asset. Um, what we've seen, the, the, the best way to treat some of those items is essentially just ignore those items. And that seems kind of like, well, that makes sense, right? But when you think about it, you know, in, in 2015, 16, 17, what we would typically say is, hey, send it to a burn contract. Say, I don't want this asset anymore. I am literally disposing of it for zero. I don't want it. But unfortunately, kind of the scammers have caught on. And, and so now if you interact with the contract or the contract address or the token, you can actually open yourself up for some type of liability on your assets or on like phishing scams or things like that. So sometimes it's better to not even touch the asset and, and send it anywhere or do anything or send it to a burn, like don't even touch it and just essentially ignore that specific transaction. And that's the nice thing that Zenlender provides is you can look at like the transactions page, sort by ABC token, and then find the one on that date of, you know, 10 incoming ABC and then ignore that. So it does get tricky from an airdrop perspective, um, looking at, at what that is. Um, and then the claim has a big difference. And then what we talked about earlier, the NFT side is essentially similar because there's no NFT specific guidance. So if, if you have like a cool cats NFT and you get milk tokens in return, it's very similar to earning an airdrop from owning a fungible asset and getting an airdrop in return, which is typically income at the time of, of receipt based on the fair market value of the asset. You can see why people would just wanna buy and hold and not deal with any of this, right? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely a, a good strategy, right? I mean, for the vast majority of people, buying and holding and dollar cost averaging is probably going to be better for them than trying to trade anyways. Obviously, we have, you know, we have individuals, we have a lot of clients, we have friends that we both know that like do very well in trading. But for, you know, for each one of those, we have like five or 10 that like 
tried to use margin and got liquidated, tried to sell this into that and time the market wrong and their whole portfolio is gone. So I'm, a, I'm an advocate for using your money in any way you'd like, but for the vast majority of people, dollar cost averaging and just buying and holding is going to be a much better strategy for you than trying to time the market and trade. But you got to figure out like, you know, who are you? What are your skill sets? Do you have an edge in the market or, or knowledge or, you know, some type of way to, to earn, you know, net returns outside of taxes? Um, and for those people, you know, we want you to trade as much as you want, <laughs> but it's, you, know, you just got to yeah. be, be careful with it. As a platform, you actually have a direct relationship with the IRS, correct? We do. We, uh, so we have a separate entity, part of the Zenledger umbrella uh, that has worked with the IRS civil and criminal investigation, investigation units for about two and a half, three years now. Wow. So what does that look like? What does that mean? Yeah. So the, the big decision that we make is that it, because it's a separate entity, we don't send any Zenledger customer activity to the IRS. So it's not a two-way street. It's a one-way street. We only get information from the IRS into cases that we're helping them with either civil or criminal investigations. Um, and so essentially what, what we happen in as entrepreneurs, we are trying to figure out how can we package up kind of this IP that we built. And essentially when you look at what we built is really like a giant ingestion engine, right? We, we support over 500 different exchanges, over 12,000 different tokens, over 60 different blockchains, over 50 different DeFi protocols and NFTs. So essentially what we do is we take large amounts of data, we bring it in we clean it up and provide an export, which is tax reports. And so we saw that this like core infrastructure could be used in government agencies to be able to look and see and track, um, you know, uh, taxable revenue that they may not be collecting. Um, so, you know, it's definitely something that they are continuing to, to invest in. We just announced our renewals last week uh, of, of both of our contracts and think that we'll continue to expand into not only domestic uh, federal agencies, but state and then international agencies. So, you know, as we've seen in the last like couple of weeks, you look up and you see, you know, I think it's like 60 or $70 million in crypto donations to Ukraine. We see Russia that's now being like sanctioned and their assets. And now they're trying to try to collect crypto instead of dollars or use SWIFT. So as crypto becomes more of like a national security, like the next ransomware platform, not going to be like, hey, drop a bag of cash on this doorstep. They're going to say, pay me in crypto. So we think that that side of our business is going to grow exponentially. Um, but yeah, you know, so, so right now we do work with, with federal agencies. Um, that's, that data is, is, is separate. But I think for most of our customers, they're not as worried because they are using our platform to file their reports with the IRS, right? So like you are self-reporting your activity by using our platform. So um, yeah, and then we try to leverage kind of efficiencies on both sides. So for example, on the government side, we've had some cases that have five, 10, 15 million transactions. So we had to build import capabilities up to that threshold that we can now package and leverage across the retail side. So if you're a high, you know, a uh, high net worth individual or, or using, you know, uh, algos or, or bots and, and racking up those transactions, we can ingest that super quickly because we have to from that. So we have a, a nice kind of symbiosis on the, the core uh, platform, but they are two separate entities. We all believe and know that cryptocurrencies are the future, but it's still very scary to be your own bank and have to secure your assets. Most of the traditional hardware wallets are hard to use. They're clunky and people lose their private keys. It's not really that efficient. And that's where the Arculus key card comes in. I absolutely love this thing. I've transitioned largely to using it for most of my assets. It's literally just a card that you tap right on your mobile device. You can send, receive, swap, buy, and sell crypto with that simple action. It's literally amazing. There's no cords. There's no charging, there's no Bluetooth. The only person that has access to your crypto is you. You guys have got to try it. 
And guess what? You can buy it right on Amazon. Go buy your Arculus on Amazon now. Huge for catching scammers and people using ransomware. And uh, I mean, some, they, the IRS can't do it themselves, which leads to the question that you hear all the time, which is that people in the crypto space like to think the IRS is woefully undermanned. They don't have anyone in place that can vet this. So I'm going to just go ahead and fudge my transactions, right? But isn't there, A, that may be true. I don't know. You can tell me if that's true in your experience, but clearly they can come to you guys and go through the transactions. But B, what's the statute of limitations? Because you're betting on the fact that they won't get there, right? Yeah, there's a few different things to be aware of, right? And we're not the only ones. I mean, our software on our government side is more like, blockchain analytics and kind of forensic accounting, but we're not the only ones, right? You have Chainalysis, you have Elliptic, you have TRM Labs that are more like high level blockchain analytics. So they're using a multitude of different platforms. Like we aren't, we, we clearly aren't the only ones that have, uh, you know, contracts with, with federal agencies. So not only will those software continue to improve, but there'll likely be new ones that come out, right? So the, when you look at what we talked about earlier, that like misconception of on-chain activity is not traceable, like it's super easy, it's super traceable. We gave examples of like Nansen or, or other platforms where, you know, you can literally look and, and see what assets are moving, who's moving what. Um, when you look at like the IRS, to say that they're understaffed is likely correct, right? Like they are understaffed. Will they be understaffed for much longer? Probably not. They're getting $80 billion in government funding to increase their man force or their, their workforce and, you know, and software capabilities. Um, and then the other items that they put in place to kind of have an initial catch-all is really what's kind of created the boom in our business it is really the movement from the virtual currency from the top of the schedule one to the top of the 1040. So now every single U.S. citizen and their tax professional right have to check off, have you ever bought, sold, traded, or acquired virtual currency? You say no, and it's yes, that's like literal tax fraud. So like they are letting you create your own fate, for example, right? So if, if you're like, they're not going to catch me and F the government and you check no and it's yes, like good luck because they're likely going to yeah. come and get you, right? Um, and so that's kind of their initial catch-all is like, let's let people self-report that activity. And if it's yes, then they're going to look. We've seen some items, and I think that's the value of ZenLender that have created some, some red flags within crypto from audit perspective. And what I mean by that is, you know, what, what the IRS is trying to do in addition to getting retail platform or retail investors to talk about their taxes is also getting the brokerages to now have universal reporting. But we've seen right. a lot of errors with that because of the nature of crypto. So 1099 miscellaneous, 1099K or 1099B from a Coinbase or an FTX or whoever isn't really great because you're not just using that one platform. You're trading, buying, selling, using multiple exchanges, multiple wallets, multiple blockchains. And then, so that's why that like ZenLedger advantage comes into play is you aggregate it all into one formal document, your 8949 instead of a 1099B. So I think we'll start to see more audits, unfortunately, because the exchanges are trying to go to this 1099B reporting requirement, which doesn't really fit the model of crypto. And we've seen a lot of flags and we've seen the IRS sue Coinbase over this. Like, yeah. So yeah. it's weird because the IRS is kind of viewing things as like an off-chain, like everything's going to go off-chain. It's all going to go through centralized activity. And if you've ever used crypto, it's like literally the opposite. Everything is going on-chain. Everything is going into a wallet. Everything is going into a blockchain. Everything, all of your liquidity is likely happening in DeFi, although you could use like a BlockFi or, or a Celsius or whatever, but everything's going on chain and they're kind of building for this off chain world. So we'll see what, what will happen, but uh, yeah. yeah. The 1099B structure is so ridiculous because everybody just uses a, the Coinbase or all of those generally to buy their crypto and then they send it away, right? And once mm -hmm. that transaction leaves, you need to be able to match it, right? You have to, yeah, you have right. to say, that's my wallet. This is where it went. 
self-transferred, not a taxable, right? They would even just say that's a taxable sale because it's left and it hasn't arrived, right? In theory. Well, that was the issue, right? Is, is Coinbase started reporting 1099Ks. And with the 1099K, they record those outgoing transfers as proceeds. Yeah. So if you send one Bitcoin off for 50K, they'd say, oh, you sold it for 50K. And then so the IRS would get this report from Coinbase that says Scott sold Bitcoin for 50K. And Scott didn't sell his Bitcoin for, he sent it from yeah. his Coinbase into his ledger. To my ledger or, or whatever. Yep. Or whatever, right? And so that's like, we've had, we're fortunate enough that we've never had a user of ZenLedger ever be audited, but we've had a lot of users that have been audited that need to come use ZenLedger to defend themselves and say, hey, Coinbase is reporting that I made 250K, but I didn't. I sent this all to this wallet, it's still sitting there. And so then they'll use our 8949 or Schedule 1 or Schedule A, Schedule C that are basically aggregates and show here's what it actually looks like. And so we've seen some like unfortunate cases where the IRS gets a number from Coinbase and that number doesn't match up like what they're saying. And then you have to go like show the IRS that Coinbase doesn't know what they're doing. So it's like fun stuff, right? So I guess it's fair to say we're still early in crypto, right? Mm -hmm. and, and with crypto taxes. So I, I, you know, that that's the silver lining, I guess, is that this will all improve, but you know, it's just really, really early. Yeah, I mean, that's the goal, right? Like we've seen attempts at improving. We've seen brokerage rules that are going to the infrastructure bill and build that better bill that are getting kind of like heavily vetoed by the crypto community. This whole like brokerage is Uniswap or brokerage. Should they have 1099? Like, so like we are kind of going forward, but not like always in the right direction, right? Uniswap probably shouldn't be giving you a 1099 because they don't have your information. They just have a wallet. But so like the regulators like, well, we want to like, we want to give you the right stuff to do, but like you're giving us stuff from stocks to apply here. Same thing about like, we're using the Howey test from the forties to look at it <laughs> the security and crypto 80 years later, right? So uh, maybe we'll go forward, maybe we won't, but like us and, and other providers like Coin, uh, you know, Coin Center and um, like Blockchain Association, like we are trying to like sit down with regulators and be like, this is what you need for like real tax reporting. Here's how things actually work in crypto. Here's how you can actually collect that revenue. Here's things that are actually gonna be beneficial or things that you think that are gonna be good, like 1099Bs that aren't gonna be good and are gonna waste a ton of resources. So our goal is at least they're being more willing to, to speak with people actually building these things. And at least hopefully we'll have some input into whatever the next regulation or guidance is versus basically them just saying whatever it is and us having to like deal with it. Yeah, your day-to-day -day must be absolutely exhausting just listening to this because not only are you building the product, but you have to deal with this sort of ever-evolving regulatory climate it's oh it's crazy it's like it's a lot i mean that's what like we always get right it's like well i'm just gonna use my own like spreadsheet it's like good luck <laughs> like yeah you, you just invested can't. millions and millions and millions of dollars into building this and like if you think you can do it better i hope you try right like try we love competition if you do it better than us we're gonna have to figure out what you did and, and do it better right so try it but it's a lot harder than people think it is um, but not only like regulatory but you look at like crypto there's no universal reporting from exchanges so you right. have a Bitfinex that provides like an API and a CSV. You have this provider that doesn't provide either. You have to go like email their support team for your files. You have this thing that like only does this. So it's like in addition to like regulatory risk, we have to be looking up every day at tens of thousands of integrations and making sure that BlockFi didn't change their account setting button from the left to the right because our instructions say go to the left side. So it's like, it's a lot of maintenance. Um, and that's like the beauty, right? Is we aggregate all this stuff for you, but the challenges for us internally is like, we need to add the next new thing and make sure that all the things that we currently add support. And then their APIs go from V1 to V2 to V3 to V4. And they don't tell anyone, they just change it. 
So it's, 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 a, it's a fun business to build, but like the exciting part is we get to interact with all of crypto because we have to aggregate it all. Yeah. So like, it, so it's it's fun. a fun business to build, but people I don't think go, accounting, that's what I want to do, right? And so, and you didn't, I don't think, do that either. You have a pretty crazy backstory, right? Talk yeah. about how you got here. You're not an accountant, correct? So talk about the beginnings. And I saw a pretty, a major article about you that maybe people didn't expect you to get this far, correct? Yeah, no, I've, I've had a, I've had an interesting life so far. Um, I mean, I think that the article you're talking about is Forbes did a profile on, uh, on me like a year and a half, two years ago, which was, which was exciting because I had a lot of people in my past that only saw like one half, right? Like the troublemaking half. And then a lot of people that only saw like the good half. So it's fun for both sides to see the opposite side, right? You had like all these like good half people are like, what do you mean you did all that? And then all the bad half, they're like, what do you mean you've done all that? So I don't know. I mean, been, been there, done that, done a lot of fun things. Essentially, I was just a, a young kid uh, who was selling a bunch of weed to a lot of his friends. And, and looking back on it, it it's super fun. Or like it, it's interesting to look back on now because it kind of almost ruined my life. And it kind of did ruin my life. Um, and now it's like legal in multiple states. So it'll be a fun story when I have like grandkids to be like, yeah, you know, grandpa, da, 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 da. Um, but yeah, I mean, that was like the initial like troublemaking part. Like I, I wasn't, I wasn't stealing stuff. I wasn't lighting stuff on fire. I wasn't like assaulting people. I was just like, I liked weed. My friends liked weed. I figured out that I could like buy it here and sell it there and make money. Right. And so like my origin story of like being an entrepreneur started with like candy and weed I did the same thing in high school. I was like, oh, my mom could go to Costco and get like a pack of Starburst for five bucks. I could sell each one for like eight bucks. And so I got in trouble because like Johnny's mom called the principal that like $60 of his lunch money went to like Dan's candy backpack. So like all my troubles always been like entrepreneurial. It's just like, I see a market there and I have products or services I can sell to people that they want and they want, they need. I just happened to pick one like weed that like wasn't necessarily legal. Um, so that was like the, the origin story. Um, and so, yeah, I got in a bunch of trouble, got expelled, was like trying to figure out my life, uh, was fortunate enough to be the first kid in my program to get admitted back into my public school system went to a small university and was fortunate enough to have a sister in New York who was kind of building her own career in venture capital and made in a few introductions. And, and I got an internship in, in New York and was fortunate enough to kind of go there. And, and I knew if I got my foot in the door, I, I would, you know, I would kind of kick the door down. I just needed to be, you know, get, get the initial foot in. Um, and that was just an interesting process because most of my internship class was all like, you know, Yale, Harvard, Princeton, Brown, like it's all, I, I was the only non-Ivy League kid. I went to a school called Indiana University of Pennsylvania in the middle of nowhere in Pennsylvania, right? So they're like, you got to go to a different school. So, you know, went to the University of South Carolina, ended up finishing up my undergrad and did my MBA there, and then went back up to New York after school um, and started working uh, on Wall Street. Um, and it was there uh, to about like mid 2015 and uh, got introduced to a guy named Brock Pierce, who's uh, kind of a, a guy that's been in crypto for quite some time. He just ran for president, which is kind of funny. Um, and uh, yeah, he, he was working at a firm called Blockchain Capital, and they were kind of one of the first investment funds in the space that were looking at not only protocol investments, but also venture investments. And was kind of brought in as an analyst to look at the venture side of our business. I'm looking at early stage companies and kind of the infrastructure that this ecosystem would need to evolve. And so I was there for about a year and a half and was fortunate enough to get involved uh, on this uh, ICO project called Gear, which is a green energy and renewables token. And the advisory board was like Larry King, uh, like the Larry King, Stan Barty, who runs a company called Forbes Manhattan, which is like a multi-billion dollar merchant bank in Canada. Um, and Jim Rogers, who's kind of like a, a Wall Street veteran that's wrote multiple books and, and run one of the most successful funds of all time. 
Um, and luckily was able to get them involved in this, in this project really early on, they all put in like a million, two, three, and then like six weeks walked away with like five, 10, 15. So they're like, they all just made like, you know, a couple million bucks in the span of a few weeks. And we're like, I want in on crypto. What do I need to do? And so I was like, I could kind of bring them into blockchain capital or it was like, well, I kind of want to do things in a different way. Right. So that was the origin of Hanum Capital Management, which is a $25 million fund we raised in 2016. And then raised another 75 million in 2017 on behalf of three LPs, uh, Jim, Larry, and Stan. And then I put in the first couple million of my own capital. It's kind of like a, you know, this is all I have, right? So if things go wrong, um, you know, it was, it was kind of a way to get them on they board. They love to see that, like, though. But yeah, the investors yeah. want to see that. You have skin in the game, of course. The game, right? They see this like young. I was 24, 25 at the time, right? And they're like, this young kid is going to take you know five, 10, 15 million bucks from each one of us and invested into this like magic internet money. Like we want to know what's going on. Right. And so the vehicle that we started with was Tandem Capital Management, which is a venture specific fund. And we were looking at early stage companies in crypto. So not necessarily like buying, selling and trading crypto, but like looking at early stage investments. Long story short, that's how I got in, involved with Zenledger uh, was from an investment perspective. And, and like we kind of talked about earlier on, I was using spreadsheets. I was trying to track my stuff on like block explorers and handwritten notes. And it was just a nightmare. So I was like, I need this solution. And, and the team, uh, Pat and Brian uh, and Drew, kind of the, the co-founders all had very extensive activity. Brian was at Microsoft for like 25 years, had sold his last business for I think $2.3 billion, had seven, six or seven exits. Uh, Pat was, you know, uh, Air Force uh, grad um, at Chicago Booth MBA, ran, run multiple business lines at Amazon. Um, essentially, it's just like a, the, the kind of 10 things we look at from an investment perspective, uh, went in to make an investment at Zenledger. Fast forward to about 2019, and one of the co-founders, Drew Nordstrom, and if that last name sounds familiar, his family owns Nordstrom's, his uncle had gotten sick and he wanted to spend more time uh, uh, kind of dealing with like his family office and make sure that the wealth went from his generation to the next. And so they were looking for a COO to kind of jump in or a president COO to jump in. And as much as I really enjoyed investing into crypto, I kind of felt like I wasn't really building anything. I'll say, all right, well, money's going from here to there and it's increasing, right? And it's fun, right? And, and once you make that first... X amount of dollars, whatever that like number is for you. It's like my life changed. And then you realize like it, it hasn't really. Didn't, I just, I, yeah. I have more money than I did before. And I was like, well, was this like missing hole in my heart that like I want to fill? And it was like, I want to go build something. Like I believe in this industry. I've been investing in this industry personally and professionally, but I haven't really like added value outside of just capital and capital is value. But like at some point capital becomes abundant and that value add gets decreased. So long story short, had already been very familiar with the team. They were looking for someone to step in. And I was like, well, sounds like a great opportunity. I see this business growing to a billion dollar business, which was kind of rare to say from a 2017 when most things were just like copy paste ICO nonsense. Um, and ended up joining the, the team in 2019 as the chief operating officer. Um, and so, yeah, long story short, not an accountant, not a tax pro, just a, a guy that's, you know, trying to figure out his life one day at a time and currently working on Zenlander. I think that applies to all of us. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I would imagine it's looking at your, your background, your opportunity, what are your unique experiences that give you leverage or, or value that some people don't have. And, and, and so a lot of stuff that I saw on wall street and a lot of stuff that I saw on venture, like allowed me to have a kind of a, a unique lens. And I think that's the, the fun part about my days is, is that I like a full-time investor and a full-time operator. And there's not that many people in this space that can do both or are doing both. They're typically one or the other. They're either investing full-time or operating full-time. And so the leverages that I have from both of those, like a lot of our partnerships on the Zenlander side come from my portfolio companies. A lot of our portfolio companies come from like this outreach and, and the cast, the wide net that we talked about earlier on the Zenlander side. 
so the, the, the nice thing is that I get to work in crypto full time and there's a lot of synergies and like meaty middle of that Venn diagram between the investing side of, of my life and the operating side. It's a really incredible story, right? Because I think most people's lives would have probably been ruined at that point, right? And I mean, it was it was close to being uh, like it goes into the story uh, and maybe we'll link it in the show notes or if you just type in like Forbes, Dan Hannum, uh, it'll pop up. But uh, I mean, I was close to like having a lot more of my life, like really messed up. Um, so I was going into like, my lap. Yeah. Well, went there, but was supposed to go to a different jail that literally was across the street from a prison. And so I was originally sentenced about six years. And was supposed to literally go to this jail on my 18th birthday. Like my present was like walking across the street into prison. That was like the, the plan, right? I'm going to court my last court date because I had multiple court dates because I got in trouble multiple times from like, fortunately enough, um, the last court date that I went to, there's this program called beta, which was a kind of like a last chance program, right? And there's 12 kids, 12 bunks. And it was like a year and a half program that like you went through different stages. And if you completed it, they would kind of reduce your sentence and be like, you are now kind of like, okay to go back into the real world. Anyways, go to my court date and an hour before my court date, one of the kids fought one of the guards. So a bed opened up. And so instead of getting sent from Northern Virginia down to Southern Virginia and going to this like juvenile facility that's across the street from the prison, I got to stay at home and go to this program and was fortunate enough that something clicked in my head that was like, this is like my, like I got arrested so many times, right? This is your last chance. We're taking away your car keys. I just went and bought another car. You know, so it's, it's, right. it was like it was a weird situation because like my mom couldn't ground me because I had my own apartment. My mom couldn't like take away my car keys or my cell phone because like they were both in my name. So it was like it was a weird situation to be in. But anyway, so that was like, you know, you could I could have woken up a day earlier or a day later and the kid may have not fought the guard. And I would have went down to this thing and served six years instead of a year and a half and wouldn't have been able to go back to high school and wouldn't have been able to go to this college. And if I didn't go to the college, I wouldn't have gotten an internship like so I was fortunate enough to like have, you know, uh, a last, I wouldn't say second chance, probably like my 50th chance, but, uh, uh, you know, it clicked when it needed to. And last was, one that counts. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's fortunate, you know, like, it's a funny story to look back on because I wouldn't be in the same position uh, that I am now without like going through that and like the experiences and the, just like the gratitude that you have for life. Right. And I think that's something that I've unfortunately seen over and over in crypto is people that have done exceedingly well for themselves that are miserable. They're, they have so much wealth and they hate life. Right. And it's like, I've been in a position where I slept on concrete for a year and a half. I've been in a position where I couldn't look out at like the stars at night. I couldn't go to the bathroom without someone like giving me approval. I couldn't like go shower when I wanted to. Right. And it seems so crazy, but like, if you've ever been in that position, like it sucks, like it's not fun. Right. So it's like, I love that I can wake up and work on crypto full time as a passion. I wait, I like, I love that I can hop on a podcast with you and then like go grab lunch. Like, you know, so I think that that like experience has led to a lot of gratitude, which has led to like, you know, uh, a happier life than than if I just wasn't focusing on just on the wealth. Absolutely love it. And maybe you wouldn't have even uh, accomplished as much as you have if it hadn't have happened oh, in a strange way. A hundred percent no. I mean, the way that I look at it is like I would have kept doing what I was doing and I just would have gotten caught after my 18th birthday. Right, and I would have been a juvenile. I would have been an adult and I would have got sentenced to like 15 or 20 years. And there's no like second chance because you're already an adult. So like, it's, it's weird to look back, right? Cause like, there's always a, what ifs, what could have been, what should have been like, if I would have done this, if I wouldn't have done that, if I wouldn't have made that deal or didn't sell it to that guy who then told this guy, who then told that guy, who then told the cops, like there's a million what ifs set up. Like literally the first probably six months of me being locked up was all those what ifs. Should have done that, should have done that. Should have had this guy do it for me. Like a million different things, right? But 
I am who I am today through that experience. And it's something that like that Forbes article was super valuable to me because it, it allowed me for the first time to not be afraid of that experience. And that was kind of like my cover for a while, right? Was like, go to Wall Street, work at big banks, make a shitload of money, have this like really paper and credentialized thing. Cause I was trying to make up for like, I'm this knucklehead kid who doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah. And so it was like a big thing for me to be like, I am both. I'm the kid that fucked up. And I'm also the kid that's done some like cool shit after the, after the fact. So it, it was, it was cool to me to be able to like get that full story out and, and not have to like hide it in my back pocket and like hope that someone was going to find it. I kind of like announced that that was like my, my thing. And once you own your own story, then it allows you to just like, you know, move forward. Absolutely love it. But before we, I know we got to get concluded pretty soon, but I've had this question over and over again. What about someone who did start in crypto a few years ago and didn't ever file taxes? Yeah, great question. I mean, we see that we see that a lot. This year, the average net new purchase is purchasing three to four years for their tax reports with us. And, and that's the average, right? So there's obviously outliers on either end, but the majority of people are now starting to catch up, right? And they didn't file in 17, they didn't file in 18, they didn't file in 19, they didn't file in 20, and they now need to go back and amend. And so one of the kind of unique parts of, of Zenlender and, and one that you've used is our tax pro team. And so having an actual tax professional or a tax attorney that's gonna kind of sit down with you, make sure everything's reconciled and actually file your accounts or amend your returns for you is a really big value add if you haven't filed. And so I would say one thing is make sure that you file from the beginning to the end. If you file a 2021, you're like, well, I'm, I'm clean now, but you had activity in 19, 18, 17, 16, like, they're going to be like, well, how'd you get 10 ETH to start with? How'd you get five? Where did it come from? Right. So like, if you're going to like come clean, like come clean, don't like half come clean, like go back, amend and make sure that you're clean moving forward. And, and as we talked about today, like a lot of these things can have impact. So if like you don't report your 2017 acquisition data and you bought all this Bitcoin or ETH, and then in 2020, you sold it all for NFTs and we don't have, you bought it for X. We have to say you bought it for zero, which is going to inflate your capital gains. So that acquisition data is super important to have. The, the, the item that we get asked about all the time is like, well, should I have a spreadsheet or like a notebook of all my transactions? And it's like, no, you just need to know like what, from a high level, what did you use? And obviously there's individuals that have things that probably should be documented. If you have private sales, if you have like safe notes or staff notes, if you have things that aren't like public, like you need to document that. But for the vast majority of people, it all happened on like centralized exchanges or on their wallets. And so the key is, Okay, between 2017 and 2020, I used FTX, Coinbase, Binance. I used a Ledger, a Trezor, and a MetaMask. As long as you know like the core sources and you get those imported, the software is going to do a lot of the pairing and matching for you. You may need to look at a few That's, things to make sure that it's looking right, but in general, we'll, we'll do a lot of like the hard work for you. So it should be easy to get that activity together. Um, and then the only last item that I'd say on that is that old activity is super important for this current year. We have a lot of people that just want 21 tax reports, but you need that 17, 18, 19, because we need to track the cost, because track your holding period, track your gain or loss, track the fees that occurred in between, uh, you know, between your accounts. So um, yeah, I, I wouldn't be afraid. Um, the only way I'd be afraid is if last year you checked that you've never interacted with crypto and the answer is yes. But that's probably something you're gonna need like a tax attorney to, to review, because that's like kind of tax fraud, which is not good. Um, but if you checked yes and you kind of filed, but just maybe not incorrect, like completely, like there's, there's ways to get that handled and rectified. And we have those kind of those resources on staff where you can work with like a registered agent, um, and someone that can actually like walk you through the, the whole process for you. Awesome. So where can everybody follow you and then check out Zen Ledger after this conversation? 
Sure. Yeah. So I'm, I'm pretty active on Twitter. Uh, D Hannum, D H A N N U M eight. I'll have, you know, maybe we'll put in the show notes or, or tweet out about the, the uh, episode when it comes out. Um, and then Zenlender is www.zenlender.io. Uh, our Twitter account is Zenlender.io on, twi- on, uh, on Twitter. Um, and then we'll, you know, what we're trying to do a bunch of podcasts and, and uh, we just had, I was talking to Scott before, did like a live show with Phantom and then Phantom Network today. We'll have a uh, live stream with AVAX and their team tonight or like this afternoon. So just trying to add a lot of value and in context so you can go through your journey. And, and obviously if, you know, whatever we said resonates, you want to give us a try, we'd love, you know, we'd love to earn your business if we can. Yeah. And the blog and educational content is really top notch as well. Like you said, you're doing a lot more than just trying to get people to sign up. I just think there's so much confusion and you guys are helping clarify it from the very top end. So that's really useful. Yeah, man. I mean, we're trying to, right? Like we want you to be able to degen and ape into whatever you want and know that at the, you know, throughout the year and at the end of the year that you can get your tax tax reports and, and, you know, easily accurately and and be in and out, right? Like we are not here to be kind of like uh, uh, a part of the ecosystem that makes you, you know, have to pay more or wait longer or whatever. It's like, we want you to be able to do whatever you want and just know that you can look at your portfolio and your taxes throughout the year and and when you need your reports. Um, So, you know, obviously, pretty biased, but think what we're, what we're building is, is a pretty integral part of, of crypto and, um, you know, and we'll continue to build for the ecosystem. So as we talked about earlier, like the pace never ends. So there's always going to be some, like some new thing that we may not support uh, uh, as much as we can. So if you ever have trouble, like DM me, call our support team, email our support team, chat with our support yeah. team. They're available 12 hours a day, seven days a week, via email, chat and email. Um, so if yeah. you need, if you have, if you need help, if you just have questions, you know, how do I import this? I imported that. It's not reconciling, whatever, like give us a call, chat with us. You know, we're, we're here to help. Yeah. And the next conversation, we'll talk about what happens if you're not an American, but that's a whole other, uh, <laughs> yeah. a whole other rabbit hole depends on where you live. Well, thank you so much for taking the time. You have an incredibly inspirational story and I love what you guys are doing over there. And all I can say to everybody is get your, get your house in order and take this very seriously. Right. Absolutely. Scott. Well, appreciate you having me on. Uh, I'll, I'll connect with you offline and maybe we can get a, like a coupon code put together for, for, uh, for the, oh, that'd the, be amazing. The podcast listeners and things like that. And, and yeah, always happy to, to connect with you. So appreciate you having this on. Thanks so much. Thanks.